Hey guys, this is Wellness Weekly on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Join hosts Rachel Kukaji and Director of Health Services Brock Latz as they talk with health professionals about their areas of expertise to give you tips on how to live well in every aspect of your life. You can also catch this episode on Spotify if you miss it on the radio. Hello and welcome back to Wellness Weekly. I'm Rachel Kukaji. And I'm Brock Lutz. And today we are here with our chaplain, Reverend Adam Rick, to talk about spiritual health. So thank you for coming on. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. And if you could just start out by, we always do this, telling us a bit about your background and what you do for the college. Sure. So I'm the chaplain here at the college. Uh, so I provide a little bit of oversight, administrative support to the, the student ministry that happens on campus. Um, I do a lot of one-on-one counseling with students on a range of issues as they bring them to me. Um, and I'm also um, at the center of the college's uh, growing and new Evensong p- program. Um, so I lead some public worship in the chapel as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm an ordained priest within the Anglican Church of North America. I have served in a congregational capacity uh, before serving here at the college. Um, and now I'm pleased by God's grace to be here. Awesome. You talked about counseling students have you found that people tend to come for spiritual matters and other things come up or do they come for other things and spiritual matters or what is maybe the trend of initial students coming to you? That's a good question. I feel like uh, as you were framing it, I was thinking that happens and that happens also. (laughs) When I asked, I thought, oh, that could happen. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, it's it's, people come to me for all kinds of reasons. I feel like a lot of people come to me because they they have some relationship with me in some prior context, like Mm. they've seen me preach or they go to Holy Trinity, the Anglican church here in town. um, Or I've interacted with them in some capacity in the classroom here on campus. So... um, But I feel like a lot of people come to me maybe initially with questions about doctrine or... They might be tr- struggling in a, like a friendship. As a minister of the gospel, the expertise I bring to bear is uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And mm-hmm. um, I remember once being asked online to describe my job in a very weird way. And <laughs> I said, what I do is I remind people to look up. Mm-hmm. And I think that's pretty accurate. So whether they come to me with an overtly spiritual question or they come to me with you know, a challenge with a roommate or whatever else, I always try and take it back to um, to Jesus Christ and the gospel mm-hmm. and to help them orient their question of the difficulty uh, in, into that into that framework. Yeah. Well, and you and I always talk about how your world and our counseling world overlaps quite a bit. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> I do think that there are a lot of students, probably for some good reasons, who are suspicious of psychology. Uh, I think that's probably a good podcast idea in the Topic. future. Should <laughs> yes. Christians be wary of psychology? But I, I do think that many people might be struggling with a mental health issue and would rather go talk to you about it because they know it will be, will be faith-based as opposed to going to see a counselor that they're not really sure what their, their theological background is or whatnot. Sure, though I also... F- uh, I think that's true. Something else that seems to happen, though, too, is that I think sometimes my collar, which I don't always wear, freaks people out. They just mm. assume that um, as the chaplain, I'm holier than they are. And so they can't mm. come to me with the issues that they have. And if I was just talking... You I, aren't? <laughs> you know better uh, okay. than most, yeah. Brock. I mean, come on. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I was just talking with one of my colleagues in student affairs today when she was a student here, uh, that the idea of Father Adam in her mind made me intimidating to her. Um, and I asked her how, how, how prevalent that idea is among our students. And mm. she was like, I think it's out there. I don't know. She didn't give me any indication about like percentages, mm. but, um, that there's just like a gravitas to my office 
regardless of who happens to be wearing the collar, mm. that sometimes freaks people out. Um, and so uh, they don't want to come and be condemned or whatever. Mm. Um, mm. And so I, I do a lot of work to try and forestall that perception. You know, I always tell all the students, the freshman class, when we speak to them at the beginning of the year, mm-hmm. I'm, don't let this collar fool you. I'm not holier than you. Mm. Um, please come see me if you're struggling, because I think that that, that that can sometimes be a barrier. Right. Mm. Yeah. yeah. When you're meeting with students and they want to come in and talk about faith growth and spiritual formation, those kind of things, what 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 do you recommend to them and how in general do you define what it means to be a spiritually healthy person? That's a good question. I don't know however how many students come to me who just want to go deeper with their faith and that's what they want. They usually mm-hmm. have some presenting issue. They struggle in prayer. They find Bible reading dry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they feel like they haven't heard from God in a while. Uh, and so I usually try to just ask probing questions at first and find out, like, what is their religious background? What is their experience in the faith? What is their sort of routine when it comes to spiritual discipline? Um, and I often try and ask them this question. It, it throws way more of our students for a loop than you'd think it would. But I ask, well, tell me about your relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I have, I've had a number of students, Catholic and Protestant, who look at me and you know, no one's ever asked them that question mm. before. Um, and so I try to ascertain their relationship with Jesus specifically. Like, how do you know him? How does he speak to you? How do you hear from him? Um, well, what are you looking for as you ask him that question? Or what does it tell you, I guess? Man, I don't know exactly how to answer that question. Mm. I think I'm looking for a sense in which um, their faith is personal and has gone deep into their soul. Okay. Um, I think it's easy to keep God, scare quotes around that word, kind of at arm's length, because the word is kind of fuzzy around its edges. And so we can talk about God, and we can talk about the church, and we can talk about the moral life and um, ways we may or may not have lived up to it. But when you ask about Jesus, like it's personal very fast, because mm. Jesus is very particular, and right. it's mm. hard I mean, of course we do it, but it's it's hard to make him entirely after our image mm. in a way that with God, it's a little easier. Mm. And so I think when I'm asking that question about Jesus, I'm trying to see how deep their faith goes mm. and mm. how personal it really is for him and how much of it's not just about being a good person, um, but being a disciple, being somebody who mm-hmm. lives a life of faith and repentance before the Lord. Um, so I think that's that's kind of what I'm looking for when I when I ask him that question. And sometimes the faith is there, and they're just not used to talking about it. And so yeah. another thing that I'm looking for is to sort of help them articulate mm-hmm. their walk with, the, with Jesus. Because um, just, if, if, just because they don't have an answer doesn't mean their faith is not personal or deep. Right. It just means they, they've never been exercised in talking about it, so mm-hmm. they don't know quite what to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. I was curious. You mentioned questions you ask. I know of some people who have gone to you for premarital counseling mm-hmm. what is your approach to that when people come to you for that specifically yeah well there's i, I feel like i have to answer that question in two layers um, okay. the first is just marriage in general and so mm-hmm. um, um i do a series of sessions with them and we kind of look at a passage of scripture and use it as a launching pad to to, to talk about something within marriage mm-hmm. um 
so like for example we read selections from the Song of Solomon when we talk about uh, sex and romance and marriage um, we read a section from Malachi chapter 2 and we talk about conflict and divorce mm. in marriage um, uh, of course we, we study Genesis 2 Ephesians 5 talking about the relative roles of male and female in marriage so that, that's the first layer and mm-hmm. part of what I'm after there is to both lay a biblical foundation but also to help by asking leading questions to draw out especially questions from their family of origin, you know, yeah. how, their, how their parents relate to each other, what their expectations are for male versus female marriage, which often come, whether they mean them to or not, from mom and dad, um, or for that matter, the absence of mom and dad. Um, and uh, or, or, you know, what, what is your conflict resolution style, that kind of stuff, just get them thinking about mm. it. The other layer, though, too, is that I'm, in particular, I'm an Anglican minister, so I use the resources available to me in my own tradition, especially the liturgies in the Book of Common Prayer, to walk them through the meaning of marriage and the vows that they're going to make with each other. Um, and then we do a little bit, of course, talk about the service itself and what they want. So um, I use both of those tools uh, mm-hmm. um, as an ordained minister of a particular church, the scriptures, of course, but also the liturgies of my church to guide those conversations along. Mm-hmm. I know you've met with a group of students and talking about spiritual health and instructed them on rule of life mm-hmm. and rhythm of life. What role does a rhythm of life play in spiritual health and spiritual growth? Yeah. Well, I feel like I, sh- I could return to that question you asked that I didn't really answer, and that's what is my definition of spiritual health. Mm. Um, and spiritual health for me can be summed up in one word. That's holiness. Mm. Now, that's a loaded word, and people don't necessarily know what that means. Um, the word's etym- etymology in English helps us. Um, it really just, it, it's a cognate to the word wholeness, mm. um, to be complete and entire and intact. Um, and I can make a pretty strong exegetical case, uh, both the word in Hebrew and in Greek, that that is the biblical conception as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the best example of this is that the refrain throughout the law of Moses is, be holy as the Lord your God is holy. That's what the law is built around. When Jesus offers up his own definitive interpretation of the law of Moses, Sermon on the Mount, he takes that refrain and he changes the word holy to the word perfect, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And I think that's not something different. I think it's mm-hmm. the same idea, but with a different word. Um, to be holy is to be to be entire, to have all of our parts working in sync together, both horizontally and vertically, right? So that who we are to other people uh, is who we actually are inside. Our word is our bond, that kind of thing. But also who we are conforms to a higher standard. It's certainly from the Christian point of view, the standard being God and his son, Jesus Christ. Um, and so spiritual health is defined as being uh, whole in that sense. Mm-hmm. And a word that we often use in our culture that expresses that perhaps a bit um, less obviously sacrally, is the word integrity. Do you have integrity? Moving now to the question of rhythms of life, I'm not an athlete, and so I feel like I have to offer what I'm about to say with some fear and trembling, but I find (laughs) the athletic analogy very helpful. In fact, the Apostle Paul uses it frequently. No athlete here on campus is going to expect to be able to perform at the match or at the game or at the meet or whatever Mm. if they don't put in the time daily. If they're not mm-hmm. doing their lifts the way they're supposed to, if they're not monitoring their diet the way they're supposed to, if they're not showing up for practice the way they're supposed to. And that's daily. That's something they have to do consistently. Even off-season, they have to continue to practice. Mm-hmm. None of our athletes who perform just in the fall are just off in the spring or vice versa. Right. Um, and that's just what it takes to form the human person, both mm-hmm. body and soul. Because any athlete, again, will tell you it's not just about physical prowess and ability on mm. the field of, of play. It's also the, the mind game, the head game, right? And being being present mentally and emotionally uh, and being collected mentally and emotionally in the moment. Um, 
similarly with the Christian faith, uh, we can't expect to perform, so, so to speak. We can't expect to be properly attuned to Christ, if I can use that language, um, if we're not maintaining a habit of it. Mm. You know, we just can't expect in a moment of crisis to cry out to God and there's no mm. what to listen for right. if we have no practice yeah. of listening for God otherwise. Mm-hmm. And so that the wisdom— Like someone of, wouldn't just go out and run a cross-country meet. They could try. They'd probably be hunched over about halfway through on the side of the field, right? Um, And so often in in Christianity, this is the way it goes. We have a moment of crisis or a moment of stress, and all of a sudden, all of our spiritual resources are just threadbare. And we're like, Mm -hmm. what, what, where? And classically, we blame God for this. Like, where is God? Well, Hmm. have you gotten used to listening to him? Like, do you know what it sounds like when he speaks? Do you know the way in which he sort of moves our spirits and speaks to us through the voices of others? I mean, are you practiced at that? Um, and if the answer is no, well, that's that's where we have to then turn. Um, rather than asking questions about theodicy, where is God when it hurts? Like, how are you letting God in on a regular basis? Mm. So, um, and I think it's just a conceit to the fact that we're human. You know, we're finite. We, yeah. don't, we don't just perform on the spot. We have to be formed. Yeah. We talk a lot about character at this college, and that's the idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's those habits and those rhythms that form us. Mm. Um, now, they can be a point of pride if we do them for their own sake, right? So mm. the goal is always to do them as a means to another end. The means, of course, is to know and hear Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, just because it can be abused doesn't mean we shouldn't it right. yeah it's like what you said about us being human often a lot of times i've talked with different groups here about the verse prone to wander right and so prone to we wander need, lord i feel it so we really need to get back in the rhythm every single day i mean how does that how does that hymn conclude though right here's my heart lord take and seal it seal it for thy courts above you mm-hmm. happen to cite a hymn that's one of my favorites mm-hmm. um here's my heart lord how, how do you give god your heart I mean, what is that? I mean, I can't rip it out of my chest, right? right. That's pretty gory. Um, we, of course, don't mean that. But what does it mean then? What does mm-hmm. it mean to give God my heart? And that's something that a, a rule of life and, and, and drawing from the deep well of Christian experience when it comes to spiritual formation and creating a soul that is attuned to the movements of God, um, that's where that work comes really in handy. And now I have some sense of what it means, both like an actual practice mm. to have that be my posture of uh, hands open before the Lord with my heart in it for him to use as he pleases. You're listening to Wellness Weekly on Radio Free Hills of 11.7 FM, and we're talking with our chaplain, Reverend Adam Rick, about spiritual health. You were talking about daily engagement in the word. I was wondering if you had preference or advice for how to approach that. I mean, I think a healthy spiritual diet is not going to just be scripture reading, though it's going to need to include scripture reading as of central importance. It's also going to include a life of praise, a life of confession, a life of gratitude, a life of intercession. Um, and all of those things are necessary components of um, a daily a daily diet. You remember those like the super sugary cereals when they advertise on television? They say, this is part of a a healthy breakfast, and it's got all of these foods around it that are actually the healthy breakfast, and the bowl of cereal is just kind of an outlier. Um, that's the idea is that, uh, you know, our souls are complex and our spirits are multifaceted, mm-hmm. and so our, our diet before the Lord is all of these things together. Mm. Um, I'm going to very shamelessly pull from my own tradition as, Anglican, as an Anglican here. Part of my tradition's um, conception of the daily rhythms of prayer includes what we call the daily office, 
which is uh, the services of morning and evening prayer, which can be done as public services or they can be done as private devotions. In fact, our Anglican students do morning and evening prayer in the chapel Monday through Friday, mm-hmm. um, just like our Lutheran students do matins and vespers in their tradition. Um, both of those liturgies come from the same medieval stock. But the idea is just daily prayer. And what does daily prayer look like? And according to our traditions, and this goes goes way back, um, the basic building blocks of um, a daily devotion include the Psalms, scripture lessons, and then um, intercessions uh, with sort of built around the Lord's Prayer. And so I feel like those three things together um, are, the, are the fundamental building blocks mm-hmm. of a daily devotion. Um, and if you have all of those things, whatever else you may add to them, um, my tradition also adds confession and some other things, um, that's a great place to start. Uh, when it comes to how we read scripture, Man, I mean, the, sky, the sky's the limit. I mean, mm-hmm. is there a way to not read Scripture? Uh, you can read it slowly and meditatively. You can read it, um, you know, chapter by chapter over the course of a whole year. You can really go deep and study with notes and annotation and commentaries at your side. Um, part of it just depends what you're what you're interested in, what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, and I, I do give people counsel about that and provide them with the tools they can mm-hmm. draw from to help them sort of make their way. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yeah, Brock, I remember Brock said in a talk a couple weeks ago about, he said, how many people would think it was weird if I said, yeah, like I talked to my wife for like five minutes in the morning, maybe five minutes while I'm driving to work, you know. Maybe say hello in the evening. Like how weird would that be? Set a timer or, so yes. that I, I don't go over time. Yes. <laughs> how weird would that be if that was about your wife? But for a more important relationship between us and God, how many people or how many times do we find ourselves doing things like that? Mm-hmm. And not even that 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 amount of time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's interesting when it comes to time. Time always reflects what we value, right? But the amount of time that I might spend with God, someone might go, oh, wow, that's a lot of time you're spending with God each day. But if I spent that same amount of time with my wife, they would go, oh, that's not a lot of time. You know, so it's it's interesting how we kind of juxtaposition those things. So Yeah, I remember being struck growing up <clears throat> by, um, dare I say it, a story about, I think, Pope John Paul II, who once said that when he's very busy, he, you know, or, or he, you know, his, his standard rhythm is to pray two hours a day. And when he's very busy, he prays three hours a day. Wow. And so he actually mm. ups his prayer game mm-hmm. when his life gets complicated because he needs the Lord more, and yeah. he knows that, and that's reflected in the time he spends in prayer. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so I think that should be our ideal. Mm-hmm. When we get busy, we often stop engaging in spiritual practices because, well, we don't have time. Right. Mm-hmm. And God's not you know, urgent, right? Mm-hmm. He's not like following us right behind and like, when are you going to spend time on me? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. He's he's a gentleman, right? Um, he 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 invites, he taps on the shoulder. Um, but if our disposition was, well, I'm really super busy. I got to spend even more time in prayer to make sure it's all covered. I think that's actually the goal. Um, but very few of us, myself included, mm-hmm. uh, often live up to that standard for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's interesting because that reminds me of a lot of what we've been hearing other people say in terms of physical fitness or health. Of when we college students get busy, we tend to throw away our daily routines and just the importance of keeping those routines and trying to work the busyness through that. And then it's less overwhelming because you're not getting tossed by the waves. Well, and some of those routines would actually help us. I mean, that's true for students and staff alike, I think, Mm -hmm. when we get busy. But some of those very routines are the things that will help us 
complete the work as well as we could even better, you know? And so yeah. it's interesting the things that go out the window first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So along those lines, I wondered, um, and actually not just for you, but for Rachel too, we have a lot of students who come from good Christian families, religious backgrounds are even used to doing some devotional life. And, and yet there are students who don't grow spiritually. What, what do you notice in, in students who aren't actually growing spiritually or what are some obstacles to them growing in kind of becoming the followers of Christ that we would expect them to be or that they even desire? I would say the busyness is a big thing. What I think is very important of daily prayer and scripture, some people don't take that as seriously. And so then they go a week where it kind of, like I said before, they get tossed by the waves or people getting what I think might be too particular about finding a church. Hmm. And they say, I don't like the churches here. So they just don't go or they live stream their home church sometimes, which is Mm -hmm. not the same as participating in a body of believers and having that accountability of being in person with someone every week. And that uh, sometimes goes back to the busyness, like people who travel for anything from debate and mock trial to athletics say, I can't go Mm. on a Sunday morning, Mm. but other people just, I want to sleep in. And so busyness and laziness. Mm. Yes. I have opinions about the things get scheduled on Sunday mornings around here. I wish it didn't (laughs) Mm -hmm. happen, uh, but they do. Um, Yeah. I mean, the biggest barrier to spiritual growth in my mind, is uh, this wonderfully old word, pride. Hmm. Now, whenever we hear old words like this, like holiness, for example, um, they don't mean a lot to us practically, right? We're like, oh, well, of course we'll concede that spiritual health is about holiness, but what the, what the heck does holiness mean? Of course we know that pride is the great barrier to growth, but what does it mean? Um, hmm. And I think I can I pinpoint a couple of ways I see it manifesting among um, people in this community, myself included. Um the first is perhaps just a feeling of self-sufficiency, right? I've got this. I don't, I don't need yeah. God's help. Yeah. You know, I've mm-hmm. got, I mean, our, our students here, the people who are drawn to work here are all pretty accomplished and driven people, right? Mm-hmm. They, they can, in fact, do a lot. Um, they can do a lot and be all shriveled up inside, though, is the yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're really good at faking it for a lot longer. Um, and so thinking that we've got our act together and we don't need the help. Uh, is a hindrance to spiritual growth. Um, Another thing that can be a hindrance to spiritual growth is similar, but not exactly the same thing, and that's a desire to look like I've got my act together, right? Mm. Uh, There's a lot of competition and rivalry, uh, some of which can be very healthy in this place. Mm -hmm. Um, And we want to look good, especially in front of our friend who's sort of in the running to be valedictorian with their 4.0, right? Mm -hmm. We want to, like, be with the best and we want to be the best. Um, and so fronting our failures or, or leading with our weakness mm. or being vulnerable with our peers, uh, that's a drag. I don't want to do that. Um, and yet there's no other way to come to Jesus, but, but as our naked selves, I mean, right. he knows mm-hmm. anyway, he's not going to yeah. speak to us based on the pretension because he doesn't speak the language of lies. Mm. He speaks truth. And so if we come to him with a mask on, we're not going to understand him when he talks. Yeah. Um, uh, there's also that great human uh, aversion to being told no. Hmm. I mean, the spiritual life is about accountability and scrutiny and subjecting your life to, to the inspection of others because, you know, we have blinders, we have biases, we have weaknesses. We need we need the body of Christ to prop us up and hold yeah. us up and spur us on. And who likes being told no? Hmm. Who likes being told you really 
shouldn't be doing that. You know, even if I know I should be doing, it, I don't want to be told that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so much of healthy spirituality is being in relationships of accountability, uh, like genuine, vulnerable accountability. <clears throat> where we can be honest about just what's really going on in our hearts, just the rawness of our experience, even if we can't even fully put words to it, or maybe we're embarrassed by it. We need to say that to somebody, or we're not we're not going to grow spiritually. Uh, and I think busyness is just a sort of a sub-factor of all of these. Mm, yeah. Because what's the heart of busyness is, if I'm not running the show, then the whole world's going to stop running. Yeah. Hmm. And yeah. the wisdom of Sabbath is, hey, look, the world keeps turning, even if I take a day off, hmm. and God still provides. Um and so busyness itself is a is a pride of just I've got to do it or it won't get done. Um, maybe, hmm. um, maybe it sh- maybe it just doesn't get done then, and hmm. the world keeps turning. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, God is still on His throne. Uh, so, hmm. um, those are some particular areas I see it manifesting uh, yeah. on campus. Where I think if we're intentional about noticing those things, we'll make better progress. Mm-hmm. On that note. We are out of time, but thank you so much for coming on. It's been a wonderful discussion. Yes, it's been great. Thanks. Thank you all for listening to Barack and I interview Father Adam Rick on spiritual health. Come back next week for another episode of Wellness Weekly on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM.